Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Above the Bar podcast. For each week, we belly up to the bar with a new guest, find out what they do, who they are, and what makes them great. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the Above the Bar podcast. It's your host, Sean. If my voice sounds horrible, I'm just getting over a cold. So let's let me do something here real quick because I can hear it in my voice. Like in a moment, my wife's going to yell at me. <laughs> I had to clear my throat and mute my mic so none of you can hear me. But we have returning for for his second appearance, our bar top psychiatrist or psychologist, <laughs> excuse me, jack that up every time that, you know, we, he's strange, but we love him. But it's strange love, Doctor Strange Love. Um, he is, you know, definitely not Phil. He has a way, way better delivery than Doctor Phil, and you know, we would never compare him to to Doctor Oz in any way, shape, oh, or form. God. Yeah, he, we. That's a whole nother subject. We brought back with us Doctor Avram. How you been, Doc? I'm good, Sean. How you doing? Good. How are things in the uh, frozen tundra that is uh, Maine? We're we're getting our first winter here. It's going down to 13 below Friday night. I'm a little uh, sort of running around trying to figure out what I need to do to my house for 13 below zero. Like, well, I'm in Albany, and uh, we are not far off from you guys. So we're we're supposed to be like in the negative, like 19 with wind chills they said we could see wind chills in like the negative 30s and 40s yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be blowing 25 miles an hour while it's 13 below so yeah it'll be it'll be an adventure all right folks welcome to your weather podcast (laughs) (laughs) but look if you live up in this in these in these regions uh right we all know it it, it's the first topic of all conversations up (laughs) in these regions so how bad is it where you are that and that and firewood and how much have you burned and how much you have left. <laughs> hey, how many cords you got left for at my house? It's how many oil tanks have I gone through? And yeah. we did good so far this year. We're, we've only done two, but I think uh, we're, we're coming up on a third one. And yeah, that's ridiculous. Well, we appreciate having you back, Doc. We're going to be talking about uh, why do men fear intimacy? We'll probably touch on uh, some subjects that we've touched on before about you know men in relationships so let's get let's get some house cleaning done here real quick and then we'll get it into everything with the good sure. doctor here um as we always say over my right shoulder that's the big board for sticker and a cause if you've got something you're supporting maybe you're a doctor of your own and you got a sticker if you're a doctor with a sticker that's pretty interesting and especially if it's not spongebob at my kids doctors you know reach out to me facebook linkedin youtube twitter twitch instagram TikTok, even our email. It's all the above the bar podcast. Reach out, send me a message. Let me know what it is. I'll tell you where to send the sticker to. We'll read the sticker live on air. It's free advertisement for you. Get your get out there what you got going. Or maybe you're another podcaster or whatever it is that you got happening. Let me know. Uh Dibs, we wish you could make it with us, brother. Welcome back. We miss you, Dibs. Uh Brendan's Brendan's touching base with us. Uh Dibs has been making some moves here, so we couldn't get he couldn't make it today, but I'm glad to see you, brother. Um, make sure, though, folks, if you're finding us for the first time, make sure you're sharing this to all your yard sale sites, 
all those places where where you know you're going to get kicked off share it everywhere who really cares if you can't get that you know somebody's used coffee mug from the 1984 you know olympics do you really care just share it everywhere you can and look maybe your media is looking for a, a medical treatment and needs a checkup from the neck up make sure you're reaching out to media by dibs that's d-i-b-b-l-e media by andrew dibble d-i-b-s you can find dibs on facebook and you can find him on uh gosh my brain's not where facebook and instagram under media by dibs or if you look him up on linkedin he's andrew dibble and if you mention him that you're there to belly up to the bar he's going to give you a 10 percent discount on your first order and a free consultation on your media that's media by dibs all right doc all that stuff is done it's all all taken care of how what what's new for you before we get into you know trying to fix all of us because we all need some good fixing from you what's new on your end there doc um, I'm starting to do more talks and um, it's an interesting, I'm going to be a speaker at a matchmakers conference, which I think yeah. is really interesting. And I've had a group approach me about working with them. And it's very interesting because um, so many people I talk with are so burnt out with the dating apps. Really? That's oh where yeah. I met my wife at was on a dating app. I did too. So I'm a fan. My wife too. <laughs> wait a sec whoops i wasn't supposed to talk about that <laughs> whoa but yeah so, but what they're saying is that it's just um you know it's become so mercenary and so sort of transactional and especially the sites where you just swipe you know you're obviously reacting to only one thing which is how the person looks which is absolutely. important but it's not the totality. And so um, I get why matchmakers are sort of, people are turning more to matchmakers because um, I think there's a need for it. I think it's hard to meet people. It, well, it is. You know, it's funny that you you talk about the this that element of the swipe. And, I, and it really falls into, you know, men in fear of in, intimacy. Absolutely. Do you notice a difference between men that are on sites like Tinder, Plenty Fish, Grinder, compared to you know uh, Match. dot com or something where where there's a, a payment to be on there, do do they have a different outlook on it? I w I don't know is the real answer. I would imagine that there is because I think anytime you have skin in the game, you have more investment. I want to go back to what you said about men in fear of intimacy. I was thinking about that before we started. And I was thinking it's a bit of a misnomer. I don't think men are afraid of intimacy. Okay. I think they're afraid of vulnerability. Okay. Define the difference to me. Sure. Well, vulnerability is a part of intimacy. You can't be intimate without vulnerability. But I think intimacy in the sense of closeness and connection and contact and feeling like you have a partner who's got your back. I think men are all in on that. I think, unfortunately, a lot of men don't have a lot of life experience and training in vulnerability being a good thing. So for example, a parallel, a lot of men I work with are terrified of conflict with their partner. 100%. They just will do anything to avoid an argument. So they placate, placate, placate. And what I've learned about that is the reason that they are afraid of conflict is they've never had positive conflict. So Arguments have always ended up with them feeling more distance. 
They've never had the. So I asked them if they know what makeup sex is. <laughs> and they kind of know it from the movies, but they've right. never experienced it. And so I explained to them that makeup sex is when people have a really good fight and feel like 10 times closer because they've really aired it out and they really understand each other in a way that they never did before. And so they want to make love because it they feel in love. They feel the sex is, is an expression of the new closeness. And most of the guys that I explain this to, I'm speaking Chinese to. They don't really. And so they're afraid of conflict because it's never gone well. I get it. No, that makes ab absolute sense, you know, that that we would feel that way. But I I guess I I, I mean, I've definitely had the, the makeup sex, but I don't know if I've ever considered a, that that was a good fight. <laughs> That's a different way of looking well, at it. If it ended in sex, it probably was a good fight. Well, yeah. Yeah. Like. I feel like as a man, if it ends in sex, we feel like we won. Like we were vindicated oh, in some way. Like, I, like in some way, like I was right. Like she may not have apologized to me, but that was the apology. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to offer up a different explanation. See Please. what you think. I think when it ends in sex, men feel relieved and reassured that they're not going to be abandoned. I hundred percent would agree with that. Yeah. Absolutely would agree. Yeah. Because we, we really do. I think as a man, you know, especially if you're you're a married man. Uh, and I, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. I feel like when we get into a fight because we're a win or lose. You know, we yeah. talked about this before. Uh, what, as children, men are we play sports. We play war. We yeah. we're yeah. involved in things that there is a clear winner yeah. and yeah. loser. And women yes. are brought up in a coddling, nurturing, you know, even if something is, is bad, you know, let the yep. emotions out. And so Absolutely. for men, a fight is either I won it or I lost it. Yep. There's no, there's no, nobody wants a tie. This isn't hockey. Yeah. So I, re I remember the moment that I won my first argument with my wife and I was devastated because she was destroyed. Really? I had destroyed the person. I had humiliated the person I love. And instead of it feeling good the way I imagined it would, it felt like one of the worst things I'd ever done to, to go at someone so meanly to defeat them. So now I'm, I'm curious, as you say that, did that change your mindset of an argument like, Totally. That, like you didn't want to win. Totally. I was very clear in that instant. There was no doubt in my mind that winning was not the goal of an argument, because when you finally achieve it, it feels worse than it ever did. And so I knew that I had to figure something else out. So what did you figure? So what what became what you figured out in this situation? Well, what, what I say to people is that arguments are like sex. Sex works best when each person pays about equal attention to their own pleasure, but also their partner's pleasure. Agreed. It doesn't go very well if either person is only interested in their own pleasure, and it doesn't go very well if either person is only interested in their partners. So you have to be both interested in your partner's pleasure and in equal parts interested in your own. It's the or give and take. It's give and take, it's a, yes. 
And it's also a sort of profound understanding that a relationship is not just two people. It's there's, there's the third person, which is the relationship. So it isn't going to go well if I win any better than it would go if I just was interested in my own pleasure and sex. And it isn't going to go well if I just say, yes, honey, you're right. Any better than it would go if I just say, no, I'm just here for you. And so the trick is, how do you, in an argument, have the courage to really speak your mind fully and at the same time be just as interested in what your partner is thinking and feeling and not, not listening with an ear to correct, but listening with an ear like you were in a foreign country and you're trying to understand how they do things because you kind of are in a foreign country. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely, you're, you're in foreign territory. You're, you're, you're behind enemy lines at that point. You know, you're, you're trying to get to understand somebody else's point to something or yeah. how you hurt them and why it matters to them. Yeah. Interesting. So, so one of the things I say to couples when they're really in the thick of it, in particular, I'll say this to guys, I'll say, look, there are two possible. So like, I know you're sitting here thinking that this is the stupidest, craziest shit you ever heard in your life. So there's two possibilities. One is that the person you're married to is crazy and doesn't know the difference between right and wrong, which is one kind of problem. And the other possibility is that you don't understand. So if she's not crazy, then it's a failure of it's your failure to understand. So those are the only two choices you got. Either there's something you're not understanding or she's crazy. And most people at that point, they don't really think that their partner is crazy. So they're like, OK, well, you know. If, if you don't think that she's saying this to hurt you. Then she must be saying something that you're having trouble understanding. Right. And, and things we don't understand or things we don't can't relate to our, our typical first reaction is, is that, and I just learned this in a book I was reading, uh, our croc brain, the gentleman refers to it as our old brain, yeah. the crocodile brain right. kicks in and that fight or flight my, mindset yeah. of attack it, destroy it, you know, whatever I got to do. And that's when men look like they're afraid of intimacy. When they get to that place and they go into that fight or flight mode, because they don't have a lot of practice <clears throat> working things out in a relationship, when they get to that place, it's fight or flight. And they feel like they have to flee because it's over. Right. Nate, Nate has a point. She could just be crazy. She could just be crazy. Well, as I say, this that's possible, but then you have a different set of problems. That, that's a whole nother set, whole of, other issues. set of problems. And yeah. of course, the same could be said of you. It could be that you're crazy. You know, they make movies about this. You know, right. they, you know, Glenn Close was in one. If, but ho know. but hopefully, hopefully you married better than that. Hopefully you trust yourself enough that you think that you picked a good, decent person. And if you did, then how do you understand what she's trying to tell you? Well, you know, and, and staying with the, this, this intimacy side to it. So when you get somebody... You know, and, and look, folks, we're not going to be able to answer all your problems. If you do have questions and something going on, I, I think Doc would be more than happy, happy to, to answer any questions. We have Dr. Avram uh, Weiss on. Uh, and Doc, I always butcher your last name, and I apologize. It's all right. But it's Avram Weiss. I, see, 
Alvin Nine. Weiss. I always, I always butcher Doc's name. That's why I just call him Doc. Um, <laughs> but you can check his website out. And Avram is spelled A-V-R-U-M. And Weiss is W-E-I-S-S-P-H-D.com. Check out his – and you got another website too, don't you? No, that's the one you should use. And if you sign up for the mailing list there, I will send you a free ebook on relationships. Well, it, it's – I think any of us, it's worth it. So what are some of the reactions? Because I, I know as a, as a man, you know, we, we put on – we put on our armor. We, we, cause we're going to battle every day. Uh, and my wife says, we're just going to call you the love doctor. Call him love doctor. That's my wife, April. Um, Hi, April. Um, I locked the door. That, so that's you, uh, the two of you, you were in your Marine Corps uniform. Yes. That was a, a good friend of ours. Uh, that was his wedding. Very we were cool. probably, gosh, that was 2011. Uh, that picture, that was a long time ago. But um, so, we, we put our armor on it. And yeah. I really think most of us, when we go in to see someone like yourself, a, a clinical psychologist who's, you know, we automatically, we, I'm not going to see no head shrinker. Right. I'm not going to, you know, you're not going to get in and talk your mumbo jumbo to me. When, what is some of the reactions that you have when, when people finally realize that, at, you know that maybe and i don't care if it's a man or a woman because you talk to both we we just talk about men here but when they finally get that realization that m- maybe if i'm the the if i'm the common denominator in every right. situation maybe it's me what yeah. are some of the reactions or or how do you maybe even better question is is how do you keep people from crashing when they hear that and they right. realize that you, all right, you said a lot of good stuff there. So I know, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, no, 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 it's good. I, I want to respond to all of it, though. So number one is I have been now giving workshops. I just did one last week, giving workshops to therapists saying, if you want to work with people who are alcoholics, you understand that you need specialized training in alcoholism. If you want to work with people who are anxious, you understand that you need specialized training in anxiety. So how come you think you're qualified to work with men and you don't know a damn thing about them? So this is my new, uh, <laughs> this is my new, so therapists are required to take continue education. And part of the continue education you have to take is in diversity and inclusion, I think it's called. D-E-N-I, diversity, yeah. diversity equity, and inclusion. So I am saying to therapists working with men are a minority. Men are a misunderstood, in therapy, they're a minority. And at both as therapists and as patients, they're a minority. And so the argument I'm making to therapists is that if you want to work with men, you have to start with some specialized training in working with men. You don't understand what goes on inside of men. So that's the first part. So when, so the reason men, so men get a lot of crap for being resistant to therapy, but as the current vernacular goes, they're not wrong. So the reason that they're resistant to therapy is that they anticipate, and I think they're right, they anticipate that there's going to be a value system there which is not a good fit for them, and that the therapist may be more attached to that value system. For example, value system, you should be open, you should be vulnerable, that kind of stuff. 
And um, therapists may be more attached to that value system without understanding how that goes for men in ways that's different than how it goes for women. So the first part is, I think that therapists should get specialized training in what goes on inside of men. And men would be, I think, so in my practice, I don't have any resistance from people. I have a practice full of guys who before they saw me would have told you that never in their lives will they ever see a therapist. They would have sworn on their deathbed <laughs> that they will never see a therapist. And now they love it. They're totally on board and with it because I respect them. And most of the time when they tell me what they think, I laugh because I understand that. I've thought the same thing. I don't, I don't pathologize them or think there's something wrong with them. Or So I think that's what it's about. I think it's, um, so, you know, you asked, how do you prepare them for when they realize themselves? I think if you approach in a respectful way, that they will figure that out on their own. And then I don't think there is a crash because the other side of figuring out that you're a part of the problem is you've been walking around feeling powerless because you think it's all her. Right. Well, once you understand that it's you too, there's actually something you could do about it. You, get, you gain control at that point. No, that makes sense. That it, makes it's absolutely the payoff. Sense. It's the payoff for seeing yourself as part of the problem is that you then actually, so men are always excited when I point out that this happened just last week. I've forgotten exactly the details, but I was seeing a couple and the guy did something different. And his wife responded like that, like he went a little further or said a little more, was a little more open. And his wife just started tearing up and was so, and so I said to him, I said, you know, you, you guys are going to have sex tonight. This is, this, is, this is gonna work well for you do you look at her look at the love in her eyes she is loving what you're doing you can do this anytime you want I this is it. totally up to you man you can make this happen just by bringing it and that's a really powerful idea for guys that it's like oh i'm not just the victim here i'm not just the passive recipient i can change the way this goes it's not easy but i could learn how to do this doc i just love the fact that you looked at some miami like you're gonna have sex tonight i and, like and, to talk about sex with people and, and as a as a man i would instantaneously i'd be like you heard what he said right yeah. you heard it <laughs> this this is i'm paying for we're a paying for this, this i'm not we, i'm not we telling all of his instructions let me be clear i'm not telling her to have sex with him <laughs> i am saying to him she is loving the hell out of you right now. You oh. can you can create this anytime you want. You're so dug in and so resistant that you're not doing the things that would get you what you want. Which makes sense. Yeah. So, and but you, you know, and that's the couple side for you. And mm -hmm. I can tell you right now, look, folks, if if you're you're finding the doc through me or you found me through the doc, make sure you, you're you're checking out his website. As I'll spell it again, it's <clears throat> Avram A V R U M Weiss W E I S S P H D dot com. Doc's been on here before, and I have to tell you. So after you were on the last time, I've always been the type of person to tell other men if they're friends of mine, love you by on the phone. Hey, I love you, man. Always have had that but I grew up in an Italian household. So it, 
if you're Italian, that's we just did that. That's you know, yeah, because Italian men kiss. Yes, I I, yeah. I kissed my father my whole life. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. kissed my children. It it means absolutely nothing to me. It's never. And when people are like, Ooh, I'm like, well, you didn't grow up in an Italian household. You know, it's just a thing. But what I've noticed is maybe folks that I felt that connection, like other friends where I was like, look, if you needed something, you know, I have a, an affection in my heart that can be considered as love. I've caught myself saying it more to them. I'm so glad to hear that. And getting responses back. That's right. Because men tell me all the time that they are dying to be closer with another man, that they want a friend that they can talk with. But every man thinks that he's the only one and no other men want to. Right. So they're afraid to make the first move to say, hey, would you like to get a cup of coffee? Because they just assume that nobody else. But as I point out to them, look, you're all saying that you want the same thing. Probably if you approach him and say, let's get together, probably he's been waiting for you. It, it, it's an absolute thing. And Nate's absolutely right. Don't knock, don't knock what you don't understand. Hate it when people do that. A absolutely, Nate. So I want to go back to what you said about um, what the reaction you get from people when you hug or kiss. Um, it's wild. It's so sad to me to hear that. Um, I grew up in a family in some ways like yours. My dad was the guy in his family who embarrassed everyone with how affectionate he was. <laughs> so I learned that from him. And the guys who are uncomfortable with that, the guys who, if you go to embrace them or give them a kiss, get uncomfortable, those, those guys are an example of just how sad and lonely and unhappy so many guys are. I mean, if a, if a friend of yours who you really care about and he really cares about you reaches out to embrace you and you're uncomfortable, that's um, that's the problem. It, and now when you say that's a problem, what 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 could you know and, and there could be a million things I understand that. But what are some of the the surface things that that you you've experienced through your your years of doing this that that are that are there? It's the culture. It's all the culture. This is not individual pathology. This is the culture. Um, we know from research and from our own experience, but we know that boys, when they're little boys, have friendships with each other that are as deep and as intimate as the girls' friendships with each other are, and as important. But then there's this terrible thing that happens. Boys are asked to make a forced choice. Did I tell you last time the story about the coming of age ritual in the? You may oh, have. Sorry. Go ahead and do it again, Doc. Right. I, I don't remember. So, so this is a particular tribe somewhere and they have a coming of age ritual. A lot of tribes have coming of age rituals and they're usually very similar, which is the boys live with the women. Young boys live in the women's hut until puberty, in which case they go through an initiation process and the men come in the middle of the night and they're fierce and they're terrible and they're wearing war paint and this and that. And they kidnap the boy from the women's tent and they take him out in the woods and they beat the shit out of him for two or three days. And then he's a man. I mean, in some cases they scarify, they do some pretty gruesome things. So he comes back to the village a man. And in this culture, 
when he comes back to the village, his mom comes out to the edge of the village to meet him. And he is instructed to slap his mother in the face and then go to the women's hut, get his stuff and move into the men's hut. So my question is to you or your listeners, why slap your mom? Why not just walk to the women's tent and get your stuff and move it into the men's hut? What is the purpose? What does the slapping the mother express? I mean, that is a, there, there is, in my mind, there is no more breaking of, of that connection. Yes, exactly. Than, than that type of, That's uh, right. of action. So we tell boys that to be a man, you have to forsake anything that has to do with your mother or femininity. That in a sense, being a man means not being a woman which is not a very developed position. You know, if I say to you, why are you, let's say you're Albany, so you're Buffalo. If I say to you, why are you a Buffalo fan? You say, because I hate the Patriots. Well, no, Perfect. why are you a Buffalo fan? You know, what do you love about the Bills? So if, if men are defining ourselves by not feminine, and so that's, that's the wound that boys and become men carry the rest of their lives is that they, in order to be men, were told that they had to give up tenderness, vulnerability, touch, you know, friends, everything that we associate with feminine, we tell boys they have to give up in order to be a man, which is a horrible thing to do. And, And we talked about this the last time a little bit. The other side to that coin, though, is and I love the fact that you you have broken from the the toxic masculinity term and it's traditional male. The other side is if you're folks like myself, you've been in, been in the services, you, you, you're in that world. Those traditional male structures are very important. Yes, they you are. Need to have those. Because you're doing something that is inherently unnatural. Because we're programming you. Do you know, do you know that in, um, in uh, Vietnam, let me get my story straight here. I don't know if I have the correct war, but in so I won't say it. in they, the military discovered that the majority of soldiers were firing their weapons, not at the enemy. Vietnam. Vietnam was very that was a very big, big thing right. in Vietnam because. OK, so they changed the training. Right. And they went from bullseyes on the target range to silhouettes of human beings to desensitize people to firing their weapon at another human being. Which I worked. Thought about that because that's what that's all I ever fired on. We called yeah. them. We actually called them dog targets. Yeah, dog targets. And, all dog targets happens, guy. So in order to get a human being to to shoot a gun at another human being, you have to teach them. You have to desensitize them and teach them to think of it as a target, not a person. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So in Please that environment. Sense. Thinking about other people as human beings is not adaptive. It gets in the way of you doing your job. Interesting. So let me, let me just add something to that because yeah, it's please. current. I have been thinking a lot about the five police officers in Memphis. And everybody, and rightly so, everybody is you know full of feelings for Tyree, for his family. And I am near tears right now thinking about the mothers of those five policemen. 
What do you mean? I mean, they raised those boys and they were probably sweet little innocent boys who grew up in their mommy's home and went to church with them and did good in school and were a good little boy. And then that mom sits at home and watched the video of her little boy doing what those men did and brutally, brutally murdering another human being, defenseless human being. But we did that to them. Those aren't, it's not like, how could it be true that five randomly, five bad people ended up in that place? No, that's what we did to the police, to people who serve in law enforcement. It's the same thing as, as making more lifelike. We desensitized them to do their job. We told them that you have to compartmentalize and desensitize and not think about this as another human being with predictable results. And then we blame them. Now, we're going to make a left turn into this because that's an interesting subject because the other side to it is, is isn't, but wasn't that really, so when I see that, I think of all those movies, Lord of the Flies. I use that for for a great. I, I think about that all the time. You know, one of them started the process, and it was the the chubby guy, the the only one that the only white guy that was an officer. It was the chubby guy started that, who pulls him out of the car. So he starts and kind of ramps up the bee's nest, right, and goes from there. Because they were there before they got there, because they created a unit with that culture, and then they did what they were trained to do. And then we disavow any responsibility for it. It's just like guys coming back from combat. I was a, an expert witness on a case. A Vietnam vet was such a mess. He went through every treatment program that the government had to offer. And he knew he was not safe to live around other people in spite of all the best treatment we could offer. So he built himself a hut out in the middle of nowhere. But about once every three months, he had to come in and get supplies. So while he's on his way home with his supplies, a young, very nervous state trooper pulls him over. And it's on video. I watched it. You can see them escalate with each other. And the vet ends up killing the trooper. Wow. And is on death row currently for that. And clearly he killed a cop. He That's not okay. Right. That, we're not going to justify that, yeah. But he was drafted. <clears throat> then we indoctrinated him to be desensitized to other human beings. He knew he had a problem. He got all the help he possibly could. He went to live as far away from other human... Like, don't we have some responsibility there? Well, well that's a great, great point is, you know, and this is something other service members and I've talked about if this was in a, and I don't care, you know, you can say anything you want about, you know, the way we do business in the military, especially in the Marine Corps. But I can tell you if they would have been five or six Marines in a single platoon, the platoon sergeant would have paid for it. The, the platoon commander would have paid for it all the way, probably to a good chance that the battalion commander would have been relieved of duty at that level because, good. because what they would have said is 
you have created a culture that That's justifies this behavior. That's exactly what I'm okay. saying. You and turned a blind eye to this. There's a wonderful trauma therapist by the name of Robert Lifton, who says that PTSD is, is the extent to which soldiers have PTSD is determined by the extent to which the culture acknowledges their participation. The more the culture denies it and says it's just you sick veterans, the more sick they'll be. The more the culture takes it on and says, you know, we started this war, we drafted you, or we created a situation where there was no job for you and this was the only, you know, whatever you want to go with that, that that's what PTSD is. PTSD is when we take it all and put it on them. So what you're describing about the Marine Corps, I think is exactly the right response. Yeah, we, so like, if, like I said, if this would have been a Marine Corps unit, they right now probably going all the way to the chief of police for Memphis. If it would have been a Marine Corps unit would I be getting that, relieved because yeah. they would have said you created a culture that said this was okay. You were on duty. You were responsible. You created right. the culture. And if it's one, if it's one guy, you can say, Oh, that's a sick guy. Right. But if five guys and not one of them objected, that's the culture. Right. There's, there's a cultural problem. Yeah. In all that. And it's it's I'm glad you brought up PTSD because that's another thing that, you know, we consider that as a as a man's disease. It is a it is a man's problem. Right. We do know women suffer from it, but we say, oh, well, women only suffer from it in these cases. Right. You know, and you hear it more often. Uh, I got two questions for you. The first one is, is is it an overused term? nowadays i feel like it is personally like everything is like uh i stubbed my toe walking into the house can't walk in the house no more i got ptsd to that right like do we overuse it well we certainly do i mean it is a clearly defined diagnostic criteria so there are clear criteria and we do overuse it and i think i i think we're i think we're just as a culture I, i've spent a little bit of time in israel and it's a fascinating place. As as a veteran, you would really you would really be interested. I want to go. I I want to go because I love I love faith. In addition to that, what I found interesting about it is everybody in Israel serves in the army, except the ultra religious, which is another question. So they all serve in the army. So there's no class segmentation. We don't in this country, we send poor people off to war. Yes. West Virginia had the highest percentage of its population serving in and killed in Vietnam event, the, one of the poorest states. So clearly it's poor people who go to the army by and large. Absolutely. So that it segments people and we can treat the military as other because they are. They were before, they were not the kids you hung out with in high school. They were the kids you didn't hang out with in high school. And when you went to college, they went to the army. So you never felt like they were the same as you to start with. And so it's easy to demonize them and say, oh, you know, they're murderers, they're baby killers. But in Israel, men and women all serve in the army. And it's a complete leveling. Rich people, poor people, religious people, not religious people, tall people, short people. They all serve in the army and they live in the barracks together. And they don't get a cushy job because they know somebody. They earn it. It's a complete democratization Interesting. of society. And it changes everything. And I wish we would do the same thing. I wish every young person at 18 would owe 
let's say two years of service to your country. You can work in a hospital. You can clean up trash in a park. You can go into the military. I don't care what you do. But everybody puts in two years working with people like you, not like you, whatever. Did you read my? Were you reading? Were you reading my notes, Doc? Uh uh-uh. Because that's actually it's funny you said it doesn't matter because I'm very you know and it might sound odd as somebody who was a recruiter and did what I did. I'm very anti-draft only yeah. because I believe we we currently have something that's never existed in human po- human existence, which is a hundred percent voluntary military service. It's never existed. It's never been a thing, and I think it creates a cohesiveness of people who are there because they want to be there together. Yes. So, so that's there, but it's interesting. You said, so like not to get into my, too much of my politics, but I believe the government has ruined the college debt system by backing college loans. It, it screwed everything up. But I think that if you want to fix one of my fixes to that system would be you require two years of service. Just like you, I don't care if you go into the Peace Corps. I don't care if you go in the Marine Corps. Right. You have to serve in some form of service that justifies the value that you're going to get this. I agree. Month. I agree. Because it, I, I, I think about my best friends that I made in my time in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. My first closest friend was Bobby Ray Willis from Jackson, Mississippi, who I was a kid from East Baltimore, white kid from East Baltimore. He was a black guy from Jackson, Mississippi, who will tell you he he was involved in gang and drug dealing. He will tell you this. Yep. It's not that way anymore. He works for the VA. Great guy. My next my next closest friend after that was Troy Arndt. Troy and I became friends. Troy track star married his high school sweetheart you know as white white guy blonde hair blue eyed as you will ever see in your entire life yeah and he was my close and my next one after that was sean tate i've had four sean tate was just was almost just like me right as compared to um, you know, we that whole scandal about rich people um, pulling the strings to get their yes. kids into college. So what we have now is you get slotted by your social class early in life. And the kids you're hanging out with high school are the kids you're going to be hanging out with for the rest of your life. And your chances of meeting somebody different than you are slim and none. Eric just brought up a great point. He says, we got kids who can't graduate from high school. How could we have them do two years of service? You're absolutely right, Eric. They're not going to do two years of service, but they're also not going to get college money either and, and, and go do those things. They're, they're just not. Why can't they do two years of service if they, if they didn't graduate high school? Because that's actually one of the requirements for. So to join any branch of service, um, you they have tiers. They have. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know from the military, but why can't they go pick up trash in the park? Well, they could absolutely go pick up trash yeah. in the park. Yeah. But that's what I mean by service. I don't mean military. I mean, right. Public I was, service. Yeah. That's what we're saying. Public service. Yeah. Right. Uh, service wouldn't take me. I had a major bone bone break in my leg. And that's understandable. But at the same time, Nathan, the Peace Corps would have took you. Right. The, you know, some other civil service Bob type or right. exactly. where something would have would have taken you. That's what we're saying. Yeah. But, but and what what I like about that, going back to this intimacy piece that we, we started with is that is where for me, you know, I, I did have a best friend growing up in high school. 
that Jamie and I were very close and I would, I feel like we, we had those relationships, but I will promise you that some of my closest male relationships come from my time in the service, knowing how to be close in, as a friend to another man. Yep. So to Can bring you, it full circle back to what we were talking about, I'm actually going to connect the two. Yes. That's what's missing in men's lives today. That's what men are so desperately hungry for. They do not know a way to make those kind of connection with other men. They had them in college. If they went to college, they had them in the service. And then they lose them when they go out into the work, work world and they yearn for them. They miss the closeness of those friendships. And they say to me, I'd like to be friends with guys, but nobody wants to be, you know, yes. they don't know how to do it. It's very tough. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's you, you're, you're spot on. I think about this all the time. I tell people I, I worked on the railroad. It's a very similar environment. You spend yeah. you know, up to 12 hours a day on a train with, you know, the, the same person all the time. You become very close with them. Sure. And it's interesting. You bring that up. People ask me, well, do you miss the service? Do you miss? I don't miss there. Mm -hmm. I don't miss there. I miss the camaraderie. Yeah. I was involved yeah. with being there. Right. So I, I run therapy groups for men. And when I started doing that, I remember the moment right before I was about to do the first group. And I've run groups for a long time. I've run groups since I was 17 years old. Oh, wow. And so I'm standing outside the room getting ready to go do this group with men. And I'm thinking, this is the worst idea you've ever had. This is going to be a nightmare. They're going to talk about politics. They're going to talk about work. They're going to talk about sports. But they're not going to get down and talk about anything personal. I've never been more wrong in my life. What has been such a lesson to me is that when you get a room full of men alone without women, they are dying to talk to each other. And in many ways, so in my mixed groups with men and women, people never talk about loving each other. In my groups with just men, they look each other in the eye and talk about how much they love each other. Now, how does that even, how do you even, and I get it. Like if I, if I was in a room with couples, I'm definitely probably going to be a little more guarded against uh -huh. the other men in the room because right. I have to show that I can take care of my, my woman. It, right. And that's what it is. Yeah. But in those groups of men, how does that normally manifest itself? It manifests itself in words and action. I mean, it, it's they're very quick because it's such it's so exciting to them to be in a space with other men that they can actually talk about whatever they want without being afraid that they open up very quickly. That's the big. So and when you say this to women that a group of men hug and talk about loving each other, they think you've lost your mind because they don't see that part of us and they don't know it's there. You're, you're spot on, Eric. We don't want to show that weakness yeah. in front of women because, you know, it goes back to Captain Caveman, you know, mm -hmm. mating rituals. Yeah. Well, you only, you, you got to go get the, the big, the strong, you know, yep. all those kind of things. But we're the ones who are most hurt by that. Nate's got to get this in there, Doc. He's got to get this in there for us. What do you think the best food people can bond over is? We've got to get this in here. We got to get it, Doc. I, I guess if you're Italian, it's Italian food. If you're, I don't know. I have no idea. If you're gonna go Italian, you know, 
but you got to ask yourself, if you're going to go Italian for a moment, is it eggplant rollatini or is it lasagna? Well, I would go for the eggplant. See, I love eggplant rollatini yeah. also. Uh, Eric says chicken wings. You're a goof, Nate. But, um, but, but it's, you know, it's, it's a great point that, you know, we do take some, as I said, armor. You know, if we know we're going into a world where, okay, I'm, I'm going to try to fix myself. To, for I don't know another way to say it. I'm going to fix this about me. I think we leave our armor at the door. And I, I mean, how do you, how do you put that to, to men? I see it as armor. Like this is what the armor I wear to protect me and my family when I'm out in the world. See, the great thing about a group is I don't have to do anything because the, the culture, just like we were talking about a culture that leads to violence in those groups, those men have created a culture of openness. And so they'll say to the new guy, look, I, you know, I know that's pretty, uh, you know, intimidating now and you don't know what the hell's going on. Just, you know, we'll be patient and just hang in there and watch us. And so they, they created the culture. That's awesome. It's, it really is. It, it changed my understanding of men entirely. Now, do you do now? I imagine you probably did it during COVID. Are you still doing any like online men's groups? So if All anybody's online. hearing this and they wanted to, to jump online with a men's group with you, is there anything like that for them? Yeah, no, they can do that. It's all online because I live on an island in Maine. So he does, folks, he lives in the land that God forgot. <laughs> God put it out there and was like, I'll be back for this later. And then he forgot. He just forgot yeah. he was going to get to it. Yeah, he did his best work when he made Final Haven. I mean, I mean, Maine is pretty awesome. I, I was in Bar Harbor and I like Bar Harbor. How far are you from Bar Harbor? It's about an hour and a half north of me. Oh, God. Or maybe you're, you're by like all the pirate stuff, aren't you? I don't know. They're, like, I just remember going to Maine and seeing like all these signs for like, hey, over on this coastal town, you know, this know. pirate, that pirate. I just that's what I remember about Maine. The, the thing I want women to hear about what we're talking, assuming that there are also women who listen yeah. to the show is I want them to hear that that everything that they when they get together and they talk about all the stuff that their husbands aren't they are everything you wish your husband was he is and if you would work on your delivery you could get more of what you want he is not trying to stonewall you he's just afraid and these, there's, there's a couple's researcher, uh, John Gottman, who says he can predict based on the first three minutes of an argument, if it's going to be a good argument or a bad argument, an argument that leads to, you know, make up sex, right? Or an argument that leads to, you know, not talking for three days. How it, if you start off in the first three minutes and you escalate and you get mean and nasty, that argument, it's, it's the ship sailed. But if you start off with like, okay, I'm pretty upset, but I really want to listen to you and I want this to go well. So I'm going to take a deep breath. And, you know, if you start off in the first three minutes, it'll go well. Well, it's, it's so it's the difference between does this end up in makeup sex or hallway sex? Yeah. <laughs> and for those who don't know what hallway sex is, that's just walking past each other and going F you and F you. Right. That's, that's the biggest difference there. Right. Eric says he got married out in Maine. They go back on vacation every year. Oh, so cool. We all like Maine. We're down yeah. with Maine. And, and and I think it is great advice, Eric. You know, the, the fact of uh, it's almost like you have to relearn how to argue. Yes. That, no, because, no, I think you do. Yes. But I, again, I think women 
have a lot more relationship experience. And so they know more about it than we do. And men do need to learn how to have good conflict. And that's why they avoid it. Yeah, I'm not, I, I don't, I can tell you right now, I hate to argue um, because I, I'm the same way. I'm probably better now than I was when I was younger. Like I'm willing to tell someone, hey, this is how you're making me feel. This is what you're doing. This is how, how I'm reacting to this. Because if if I don't, I just bottle it. Yeah. I bottle it and, and when it's like a Coke bottle, just, just shake it well, up, get ready. It's pretty simple. Um, I can break it down for you pretty simply. So the, the thing that does not usually work is apologizing. The, the mistake that most people make is think like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And that that's the end of it. That doesn't work. And the reason is that what you're really saying is not that you're sorry. What you're really saying is don't be mad at me. Don't be mad at me. Don't be mad at me. And that doesn't do it. So when somebody's upset with you, there are a few just basic things you need to do. One is you need to shut up and listen. But not listen like counting the way she's wrong and that you're going to counter, but listen <laughs> like trying to understand it from her point of view. Okay. And then you need to say something to her that indicates that you have actually understood her. Saying back the same words does not do that. You have to say it back in your words. So, okay. So, what you're telling me is that when I come home late, it makes you feel like I don't care about you. So, you need to. Tell her that you are listening and that you understand her. And then the second thing is you need to show her that it that she matters to you, that her being upset is important to you and that you're not just going to blow it off, but that you are taking her seriously and that it matters to you that you have hurt her feelings unintentionally or not. That's two. And three is that you are going to actually do something about it. Not that you say, I'll never do it again, because you will. That's a <laughs> stupid thing to say. But to say, so example, if my wife's upset that I came home late and she was waiting for me and dinner was cold, I'd be like, okay, well, that was not very considerate of me. I really wasn't thinking about you. I was thinking about what I was working on and all that. But let's see if we can figure out, maybe I'll set an alarm on my phone or how would you feel about calling? You know, that that I'm willing to engage with you and work something out that, works for me and works for you. And that's it. It's that simple. So I got to ask then doc, like, do you, do you ever like use these techniques at home and your wife just like save your, save your mumbo jumbo for somebody else. I ain't listening to it today. I was younger because it was mumbo jumbo, but now it's just me. It's it's now it's how you talk. Yeah. It's just who I am. And so actually we just had a great fight a few weeks ago that um, there was some stuff we hadn't been talking about and it, and you could just immediately feel how much closer we were with each other. And so, yeah, I mean, good fights are, um, you know, it's like cleaning out the carburetor. I mean, it's really. Blowing, blowing it out. Better. Yep. Yeah. Things blow it all. Better. Well, because you know what? We all feel that like when you're, it's interesting how you say a good fight because you can feel when there's tension in the air between yep. people, you want to get it out. You're yep. doing your best to 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 salvage it, and you know, like I said, that that term I've just learned that that crock brain yep. is kicking in, and yep. it's that fight or flight. You know, on every right way to start a fight is, I really want this to go well. I'm really committed to doing everything I can to have this go well. I want you to hear me. It's important to me that you understand me, 
but I am not going to be an asshole. I am really going to, I'm really going to behave in a way that makes it likely that this will go well. You, you start your fights like that. It's a great way to start a fight. If both people remind each other of that at the start of the fight, the chances of it going off the rails are much less. You're absolutely right, Pat. Fights are yeah. unfiltered communication. Mm -hmm. that, that is that is very true. Yeah. That, I don't. I don't know if I could start a fight like that. I don't know if I could do it. That I, I would it try. Mean you're not pissed off. It yeah. just means that you're pissed off and in a relationship. And being pissed off does not give you a pass from being respectful to the other person. This is true. So now if somebody yeah, was looking to, to reach out and they're looking to reach out to you, obviously we know the Avram Weiss, phd.com, A-V-R-U-M-W-E-I-S-S-P-H-D.com. How often are you, are you doing these sessions? If it's like the male group sessions or something like that, if somebody was like, yeah, I want to jump in on, on one of these, even if they just wanted to hear one and be like, yeah, no, it's not a drop in thing. It's a okay. stay for extended periods of time. And so typically I would work with somebody individually for a little bit to make sure I knew them. And um, so it, it's uh, the groups are either once a week or every other week. Okay. So you start off with, with some one-on-one -on -one yep. conversations. Yep. Uh, obviously, like you said, you're doing them through like Zoom or Skype yep. or something like that. Yep. Um, and then at that point, they can move into. Yeah. It's interesting because I would have thought. They may not want to work with me. They might meet me a few times and think this guy's a jerk. I don't want to work with him. And, well, what I find interesting is I would have thought the group fed to individual, not individual fed to group. I would have thought it was the other way around. No, I, I think of group as much more challenging than individual and people graduate to group because in a, in individual therapy, you could, you could just not talk about something. You could be a, a flaming alcoholic and never say a word and I'd never know. Yeah. But in, in group, anybody else brings something up and you're in the middle of it, even though you didn't bring it up. Whether you like it or not, whether right. you like it or not, you're there. That's right. Wow. So, so I think the group's more challenging. And you've been, I, you always just open my eyes. The, the times we've talked, looking through the stuff you've got, it's fun. I always just, just feel like I'm, I, and I tell you what you do, and, and I mean this wholeheartedly, Doc, you don't make it seem wussy. No. And, and that's the, you know, I had this conversation with uh, some folks today. We were at my son's wrestling practice, and I told him that you and I would be talking. And they brought up some, well, hey, you know, what do you think about, you know, some of the softening of men in America and, you know, some of the things that we do and all this stuff. And I said, you know, you got to listen to him. He doesn't bring it in that way to where mm -hmm. a, as a guy who, who, you know, doesn't mind working with their hands and getting out and doing things. Absolutely. I don't feel like so dark. <laughs> Give me a hug. You know, it doesn't feel like that. I played um, I played competitive basketball for 30 years, and I, I used to play in a pickup game with guys from the Atlanta Falcons. So I was pretty good. And you might have been all right then. I was all right. Uh, what I miss is the aggression and the physicality. Mm -hmm. And that is a part for not every man, but for a lot of men, that is a very enjoyable connecting experience to have a structured way of being physical with it. That's what I miss. I can't just walk up to a guy on the street, and start put boxing him out. 
That doesn't, that doesn't go well. But on a basketball court, we can be going at it, tom, hammer and tongue, and then go and then go have a beer together. Yeah, it's fine. Because we have rules that we follow, and the rules allow a certain amount of aggression, and it feels great. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it would make much sense the next time you're at uh, the grocery store, uh, <laughs> and the guy's like checking out the watermelons, and you just hip check him in there, right. box right. him out, like no, we don't have that agreement. So that's a that's not true for every man, but for a lot of men, really, it feels good to bump up against each other to Absolutely. compete. Yeah. Well, you know what? It, it, it goes back to, even if we're open with each other, you know, again, I, I'll go back coming from, you know, an, an Italian household, you know, there was still everybody, you know, there was competition, you know, look at that, you know, that, you look at that guy, you look at that one over there, you yeah, know, yeah, uh, yeah. You, know it's, you know, what you doing? Huh? What are you doing? Huh? Yeah, you know, there was it, they still existed, no matter how much, you know, affection and love and everything was going and on. And the thing is, that's not you can be that and enjoy that and then go home to your little baby and be sweet and tender. And what those those are not opposites. They're not. They're just different parts of who I am. And I enjoy them all. I don't want to give up any of them. You're amazing, Doc. You Thanks. truly, truly are. I love talking to you, Sean. Um, well, we're going to get ready to, to close the bar up here. Um, at, I'll say it again. Uh, Avram Weiss, W-A-V-R-U-M-W-E-I-S-S-P-H-D.com. Go check out Doc Stuff. How many books total do you have written now? Four. Four books. Um, if you really want to get into it, you start looking up. He's. Let's see if I remember the title right. Uh is it the title of the book? Which one is it? The worst thing you can call a man is pussy whipped. Uh, it's hidden in plain sight. Yes. How men's fears of women shape their intimate relationships. And I wanted pussy whipped to be the title, but I lost that. Battle. That's it. That was it. Yeah. Listen to me, folks. You know, it, it's just an eye opening. Uh, gents, if you can check out the doc, go see what he's got going on. If you, if you can't, you're not comfortable with doing it online. Cause you're worried that uncle Sam's going to hack and, all of a sudden, you know, the world's going to know what you got going on. It's not going to happen. They're not that interested. Then if you're worried about that, then here's what some people are doing, which I love. Some couples are buying the book and reading it together. Reading chapter one, setting time to talk about it. Not reading ahead. Reading chapter two, setting time to talk about it. And for the women, it's like for the, like the guys are saying, that's me. That's, you know, I haven't been able to describe this. And the women are like, who knew? You know, this is great. I'm learning more about you in this book than I have in 20 years of sleeping next to you. And, and you said if they sign up for, sign up on your website. Right. Sending them a digital copy. Yeah. Of your, your relationship. A different book. A different a book, book about but relationships. But yes. But, but about relationships to kind yes. of get them get the ball rolling for them. You'll also get every article that I write. And mostly I write about relationships because what's more interesting than that. And I get those, I get all yeah. those articles. Yes. Yeah. So it, it's worth it to, you know, go see what he's got going on. Uh, any other shows, any seminars, anything coming up where somebody might be able to see well, you? I'll be uh, in New York. If you're going to be in New York on March 29th and want to go to a matchmakers conference, I'll be there. Matchmaker, and then I'll be in North, I'll be in uh, North Carol South Carolina, and then I think North Carolina and maybe Washington State. And those are all matchmaker things. No, no, no. Those are all different. Some are therapists. Some are different. Okay. 
anyone who's interested, I'm doing a great workshop for just the public. Uh, if, you, if you're old enough to remember the game show, The Dating Game or The Newlywed Game. Absolutely. Okay. So I'm doing a workshop for men and women. And anyone who's interested, I'm happy to talk with you about having it come to your community. And we're using the dating game format to help men and women understand how little they understand about each other. So we're using like the dating game, but asking more personal questions. Like when you and your husband argue and he shuts down, what do you think he's thinking about? And the men will write down what they're thinking about. And the women will write down what they think they're thinking about, which of course is nothing at all. And so it's a sort of fun way of helping men and women understand each other. So, oh, you know, awesome. if your church or Kiwanis or whatever wants to organize a, a group, I'm happy to talk to you. Now, when you start these matchmaker things, and if I'm remembering where Fiddle on the Roof was where the song Matchmaker, Matchmaker, matchmaker came match. from. Yep. Do you play that song? <laughs> That's a great idea. I, I hadn't thought of that. You should play that song. That should be your theme music as you're coming out. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. I'll give you a quick note if I do. I won't sing it just to make it to make it better. I won't sing it. Yeah, Pat, the, the newlywed game. You used to love yeah. the newlywed game. Yeah. There, there's great bloopers from that show also. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look them up. But I mean, I think that the thing that was so clever about it was that how much we don't know about each other. It, it, it's truly what it is. You know, it, it's it gets it gets into exactly that. Um and God, I would love to, I, I would love to be a fly on the wall just to hear you talking about people with uh, the dating apps, you know, kind of bringing it back to the first thing we talked about, because I, I think modern day, you know, dating for kids is, you know, they have to, well, your profile looks like shit, you know, you need a better write up. You're, you're driving distance from me. You're in Albany. Yeah. Get a group of people together and I'll come over. I well, it's funny you say it because I was actually going to reach out to uh, my, my pastor and, and, and say something to him because we've got a pretty uh, we're, we're I always say I'm United Methodist. We're like the Pepsi one of uh, Catholic, all the same great flavor, just none of the guilt. Um, <laughs> and, and we're we're very like we're going through a whole thing right now with. Yeah. I've got a Methodist sister who lives over that way. I'll, I'll come over and talk with your church and then go see my sister. I'll reach out to, I, I will. I'll say something to uh, Pastor Gordon and see what yeah, he, he thinks. Uh, but yeah, I, and I just think that that's a definite subject that, you know, even as a parent, you know, how do I explain to my kids that like, look, you're going to download Tinder and you don't need a Tinderella in your life. You know, you can actually have a regular relationship with somebody. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad my kids are grown. I, I really, I don't, I it's a different animal. I, it's tough. I don't know how you. Well, I don't even know how to explain it to them. I well, truly well, don't. When I was a kid, my mother didn't have a clue where I was, but there were only so many places I could be. Yeah. And none of them was, I, I mean, I was in the park or my friend's house and I wasn't really, there wasn't really any trouble to get into. There's well, a lot of trouble for kids to get into now. I think we had just as much trouble to get into. It was just, what was your willingness to get into trouble? See, I, I, none of my friends, you know, we all did drugs, but nobody had a drug problem because nobody had any money. If right. I had more money, I would have had a drug problem. See, exactly. You know, it, Pat and I have known each other, God, since 1989, I think. 
as long as as long as I'm alive, my parents didn't care where I was. And, and they really, like I said, Pat and I've known each other since 1989, our freshman years in high school, and probably a little bit before that, maybe even. And we were always together. It, you know, we all saw each other and everything. But you know, the girls that we dated were from the neighborhood, right? Of course, where you went to school. Your mother knew them. Yes, yeah. their families, right? Or, or you didn't even, or if they didn't, you probably didn't go anywhere with them till an introduction. I just, that's a whole nother. I right. just recently had that with my 13 uh, year old. It was Halloween time and he wanted to go over to his buddy's house. And he's like, well, I want to go to my friend's house and they're in a different neighborhood. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to meet their parents. Yep. What do you mean? I'm going to meet their parents. Right. He's like, well, well I, I, I don't understand why you need and I had to explain to him, I'm like, son, you don't need to understand. That's right. This is what's going to happen. That's right. And if, and if there's an uncomfortable situation in that, then there's something you're hiding from right. me. Right, exactly. Or they're hiding. Well, I got to their house, come to find out their son. As soon as I saw the dad, I was like, I know you. He goes, yeah, you look familiar. Well, come to find out their son wrestled with my older son uh-huh. and who is their older son is now in the Marine Corps uh-huh. and we were like, we Happy. knew exactly who each other was. And then right. I ran into him again because he's got yeah. another son who wrestles. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I know you guys. So yeah. it was perfectly fine. But, but nowadays my kids will be like, oh, well, I'm on discord. Do you know what discord is doc? No idea. So you remember the old school chat rooms? Yeah. So discord is kind of like the old school chat rooms. But now these kids can set up their own. Like I have a discord for the show. I don't really use it much, but I have it. But you can set a discord up and you can let in whoever you want. You can set the rules for whatever you want. You can communicate in whatever way you want. And my one son last weekend was in tears because other kids were harassing him on there. Yeah, And it was a way. And, and luckily I know what I'm dealing with. So I sat him down and I talked to him about it. And I said, you know, you have two much larger, older brothers. Would you like me to send them to these children? <laughs> to di- no, but no, we, we, we really, really talked about it. And, you know, and I explained to him like, Hey, look, man, people are going to do these things. It, it, it's a, you know, the equivalent of a telephone, tough guy. They're tough behind a keyboard. Yeah. Don't stress it and all this, yep. but, but yep. these are things that as parents, like you just, you were like my, cause your children are much older you know, you're not seeing this, but yeah, these are yeah, things we're I'm dealing with. Oh, it's, it's always something. I'm going to need to run. All right. Well, you, you get ready to run there, doc. Um, as, as always folks, if, if you're catching this through doc or you're uh, finding him, make sure you're checking out his website. Make sure you're giving us a follow on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, uh, Instagram, TikTok. We're all in all those things. I cannot say this enough times folks. It might sound like a broken record, but listen, you going online and giving us a five-star rating on whatever social media that you're listening to us for uh, makes a difference. Other people can't find about what the doc's doing unless you give me a five-star rating. Because when you give me a five-star rating, they find out what he's got going on. They find out what's happening. And the algorithms, like them or not, end up saying, hey, you need oh, to yeah. go with this. You got to go, go check this out. So please go on to Facebook, go on to Apple Podcasts, if you're on Spotify, whatever you're on, 
Give us a five-star rating. Let us know what you're thinking. Uh, and if you've got some guests that you think would be a great guest to be on, please recommend them over to us. Doc, don't log off right away. I got one one quick thing for you. Sure. But as you know, the rules around here, you get the last word. So what's the last word? The last word is um, that what we're talking about tonight is as important for women as it is for men. We're in this together. And unfortunately, we have a pretty polarized thing going on now where it's sort of women against men. And none of us are going to be happy if we think about it that way. Alrighty, folks, be sure to push your stool in. This has been an Earplug Podcast presentation found on EarplugPodcast.com, iTunes, SoundCloud, and wherever your favorite podcasts are found.